0: Thank you, Jim. And if you wonder why Devin is so good, he got taught. He was taught by Jim. All right. So, um, in fact, I was talking to Jim this week. And if you want to give Devin a bad time, saying, "How come you're not as good as Jim?" You know. So, <laughs> no, don't do that. Just tell him I said that. So anyway, uh, we're we're excited that you're here. And we trust as we uh, look in God's Word this morning, it will be uh, it's just a transforming experience. And, and really, that that is the, the, the reason we have this book. This book is not so much an informational book. It's not for our information, it's for our transformation. It's not just to fill up our minds, but it's to change our hearts, to change who we are from the inside out. And no matter, again, where you are in your journey, where you're just kind of examining the the message of Christ and the message that that he pronounced was life-changing and that which could turn you from the domain of, as he's put it, the domain of darkness into the domain of light or whether you've been a Christ follower for a long period of time, God, God is not finished with you yet. It's not your outline this morning, but one of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in Philippians 1, six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God's not finished with you yet, no matter where you are in your journey. So with that, uh, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just pray in the... In the time that we have to look at your word that you might really allow us to discover in a fresh way what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Help us to never forget our past so that we might put it in, in perspective what our present is all about. And then uh, might we look forward, uh, not in dismay, but with great hope for the future that you have planned for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As you might notice, our, our stage is a little bit different than normal. It kind of looks like a vacation Bible school uh, stage. But in, in many ways, uh, th- this is a symbol of what we're going to be doing for four weeks. It's, it's a picture. Uh, I think all of us have had the experience where our cars are not working like they, we want them to work. And we have that experience of having taken to the shop. Okay, and hopefully what happens is when we, we take it to the garage or the place that we uh, get our cars worked on, that when it comes out of that garage, is going to be better than how it went in. And hopefully that's how you see your experience with God's people and God's word and God's spirit and your encounter with Jesus and particularly a, a church experience is that it, it's for the purpose of that when you leave and as you experience life with the church, you, you come out better than how you came in. But I want you to see this as even a step further. In many ways, when we take a car into an a, a, a automotive place, we're, we're hoping that it will restore that vehicle as good as what? As new. Well, well, God does even better than that. He doesn't restore it as good as new. He restores it completely new. And that's why the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Car, no, not a new car, but a new creation, a new creature. The old things have passed, behold, new things have come. So we're not just looking at renewal or even restoration, we're, look at, we're looking at transformation. And, and that's what we hope to see in our weeks to come. And we'll be looking at it in four different ways, and you'll be seeing that in, in a few moments. But I was uh, I was reading a book on a, a search for the spiritual, uh, a man named James Emery White. He's a pastor in the East Coast. And he made this observation or this illustration in terms of his book, in terms of that perspective on looking at what um, what you see and trying to come to under- some understanding of it. He he talked about the comedian Yakov Smirnoff. Anybody know who that is? He's the Russian. who said, well, what a country, you know, that kind of experience when he sees things. And this is one of the experiences that... that is in his gig, I guess, Yakov Smirnov. He says, I first came to the United States from Russia,
1: uh,
0: and I wasn't prepared for the incredible variety of instant products available in American grocery stores. And let's say you can help me out here. Um, he, he would say, Oh, my first shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. Very good class. Let's see if you do better on the second one. Then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder, and I thought to myself, just add water and I get a baby. (laughs) What a country, right? Instant baby by just adding water for baby powder. And, of course, we know that's not true in terms of getting a baby that way, but sometimes we think that's kind of how it works in our Christian experience. You know, I, I come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden I add just a little water and poof, I'm, a, I'm a, a fully developed human being, or put it in the Christian perspective, I'm a fully developed Christian. Well, well, it doesn't happen quite like that. You don't just become a Christian, and now everything is eliminated in terms of the problems in your life and the struggles you have within. Now, you are a completely changed person on the inside. You are now a new creature, But the journey is going to face all kinds of challenges to grow you up or mature you, just like a child goes from childhood to teenage years and into adult life. And if they cooperate with the whole process, they're going to become mature, not just older. And that's the challenge for us to realize is that there comes a point, a beginning point, where God transforms us, we become a child of His. But then there's that ongoing journey of becoming more like Him i will to read you one of the miracles of Jesus in, in Mark chapter 8. It's not in your outline. But, you know, Jesus was probably, um, uh, he, he brought amazement from people for a variety of things he did, from walking in the water, turning water into wine, to, to uh, bringing uh, people who were paralytic and to the point where they could to walk. But what amazed people was his ability to turn people who were blind to the point where they could what? see. see. And most of those times when he did that, the, the sight, uh, in fact, in every condition, the sight was instantaneous, but in one particular account of one of the miracles he did in Bethsaida is that there, there seemed to be an intermediate step. Now, we don't know exactly why God did that through, through his son Jesus, but there could be a picture of that or a symbol of that. Look at Mark chapter 8, or listen to me as I read from Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 22. A very six, just six verses, but it gives us that account. And they, disciples with Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Now, if we were to try to finish that story without reading the rest of the story, we would say, yes, I see everything clearly but that's not what came in terms of this person's experience it says and he looked up and he said i see men for i see them like trees walking around now if if i'm going to get my eyes corrected i don't want to see all of you looking like pieces of wood out there all right i don't want to see faces and limbs i want i want to see exactly who you are but his first experience was seeing men like walking trees and There's some different ways to try to understand why he saw it that way. But then again, then it says that Jesus completed the miracle, verse 25. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. Now, part of the reason I tell you that story is I think it mirrors what we're going to be trying to do do in the next four weeks or the next three weeks. Is that we need to understand that there's certain things that happen instantaneously when you come to know Christ. But there are other things that are a lifelong pursuit. And there are certain things you're going to continue to see clearer, more clearer, clearly and clearly as you walk with God and as you experience God. I had that experience just recently because I, a couple weeks ago, I, I, over a over process, I decided that you know, my eyesight could be improved. About 15 years ago, in fact, 15 years ago, I had LASIK surgery. And if you're familiar with LASIK surgery, it takes people who have horrible eyesight, which is what I had, which is like 2,400. And it gave me the ability to see 20-20. And then also the, the way I did it is also I could see close as well. So one eye was 20-20 and the other was able to, to read very small print. Well, after 15 years, my my reading eye deteriorated a little bit, or this became a little bit more um, blurry in cer- certain things I used to read. In fact, I didn't even realize that was happening because... Your reality is what you think is reality. And so I just thought that's how those letters are supposed to look. And then all of a sudden, just accidentally, I put on somebody's reading glasses, and I go, oh, that's how that's supposed to look, all right? And, and so I went in there, and I, and I, you know, went to my doctor, and I, you know, said, is there a way to improve my reading eye to where it was before? And he did some tests. and said, yes, I think we can really, uh, you know, tune that in so you can read the fine print, which I like to do, terms turn the footnotes of certain books I read. And, and so they did the procedure. Well, you know how you go in there, you're so excited about what they, what they promise you're going to experience, they don't listen to all the detail? Well, that was kind of my condition because I'd had such a great experience the first time. And then they showed me what they were about to do right before I went in. And I had almost had second thoughts. Before, before, before LASIK surgery, I don't go long t- you know, story on this, is that they do just a kind of a simple little, you know, a little cut and it puts a little flap on it. Well. When they redo the eye, they can't do it that way. So what they actually do with what's called PRK is they put a little acid on your eyeball. And it takes off a surface. And he must have told me that the first time. But when I saw it, I go, I'm not sure I want to do that. (laughs) And and then what that, but that kind of passed that because I kind of really trusted the doctor was going to do the procedure. Uh, But then two days later, uh, I didn't get the experience I had when I had the surgery the first time. Because when I had the surgery the first time with LASIK, I saw clearly, immediately. And now with PRK, I got up and I, I couldn't read as well as I read before. And then also at night, you maybe you've heard people talk about sometimes you can have a, like a starburst effect at night. And I was wondering, well, what is that? Because, you know, if you've never experienced, they defined it, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I now know what a starburst effect is. It means when you're driving and you see one green light, you don't just see one green light, you see four green lights. You see a red light, you don't just see one red light, you see four red lights. And I'm thinking, I'm not so sure I'm glad I did this, right? And then I got back to him and said, well, this is normal. I said, well, did you tell me that before? And he probably did, but again, I wasn't listening that carefully. Oh, this is normal procedure. It's going to take two or three weeks for it to dial in to be where you want it to be. Now, when I had this certain expectation here, and the the realization was down here, it was was pretty discouraging. And and that often happens with us when we we think God's going to show up in a way we want Him to show up, to do what we are praying and hoping He's going to do, and then He doesn't do it. We're thinking, God, where are you? Well, number one, we need to realize God never said he's going to solve every problem you have instantaneously because some problems you go through, he wants you to go through because it's, going to, it's the process by which you're going to lean more upon him and grow in your relationship with him and become more like him. And, and so as we think about the transformation that God has done and is going to do, there is a journey, and there's some things that God's going to take us through for us to become more like his son. And that's what we're going to look at and we're going to begin at the beginning because it always begins with the first step. And so I want to go to a couple of classic passages and we'll, we'll spend as much time as we have time to do it today in terms of looking at some of these classic passages about what the Bible say, says about transformation, like taking a car that's even been destroyed from since vacation Bible school and not only are we going to make it week by week more like new but better than new, And it's going to be by the hand of God and those mysterious people behind the scenes are going to take that which needs to be changed and change it. But what does the Bible say about transformation? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's in your outline this morning. But we all, with unveiled face, and he's talking about the experience, if you know the background of this verse, about Moses who encountered God and he began to glow you all think I have a halo and glow. No. There, was this, there, was this, there was this impact on Moses, and he didn't want people to miss it or, or see his glow diminish, so he put a veil on. And he says, that's not going to be your experience, which you have to hide the diminishing work of God in your life, because God's work in your life should grow, not diminish. But we all, with unveiled face, nothing hiding what God is doing, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So in in that phrase there, he's saying, okay, I want you to understand what's supposed to happen in terms of how you become more like Jesus. And it's pretty simple. The way you become more like Jesus is to look more at Jesus. Now, that's pretty profound, isn't it? If you want to become more like something, you ought to look at something pretty intently. And isn't that true about a lot of different things? If you want to become better at any particular sport, Uh, one way to do that is look at someone who's a lot better than you are at that sport. You know, what is it the things they do and do what they do? If you want to, you know, play like Devin or play like Jim, there's a lot more to it, but watch what they do, you know, when they play what they play and try to mimic what they do. And the more intently you can follow exactly what they're doing and then even understand the background and all the theory behind it, then you're going to become more like a musician by watching other musicians and listening to them and and modeling them. But you might say, well, I don't have any talent. I have no musical talent whatsoever. Well, this is the other dimension of that. It says, beholding as a mirror, the glory of the Lord, looking intently at Jesus, you become more like Jesus, are being transformed, and we'll talk about that word in a minute, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, The Spirit. So God gives us the Spirit of God to enable us to look at Jesus to become more like Jesus. Because you might say, well, you know, I'm not that kind of a religious type. I'm not that naturally interested in spiritual things or the Bible or any of those things. Well, God gives us the Spirit so He'll provoke us and then enable us to be more like God wants us to be. And the word transformation is a word that we use in our English language. It's metamorphosis, from which you change from a little bug or a caterpillar into a what? Butterfly. We're not talking about just making that that caterpillar walk a little bit faster. It doesn't walk very fast to begin with. But we're going to make that fly. And the way that changes is not something natural, but supernatural, where we become different people. Now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it has that same theory. It says this, or the same truth. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transform. And, and transformation in the spiritual dimension has two dimensions to it. There's the passive part, which is, is not what we do, but what God does. Any, anything that happens in a, in a way that draws us to become more like Jesus, we can give God all the credit because we couldn't do it on our own. But there's an active part. Of, there's a passive allowing God to do what he does, and God always can accomplish what he's supposed to do. But the active part is how are we participating in the process? How are we trusting and obeying to the point where we come alongside what God is trying to do? And that's the active part, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And see, that's part of the motivation. Why would we want to do the things God wants us to do? Because that's what's good and acceptable and perfect. Well, what we want to do in, the, in these four weeks, counting today, is we want to look at the three, four areas that God wants to transform or change in us. And it's these four. He wants us to be transformed in our heart, our body, our mind, and our will. And, and those are four areas of our life that have to happen in terms of changing or we'll remain the same. And we never want to come to that point where we, we just say, you know, I've, I just can't help myself. I, I, just can't, I just can't do anything differently because I've always done it that way. Well, well God can change our heart, our body, our mind, and our will, and, and that's what we are to present to him. Now part of that, and prime, uh, the, one of the primary sources for that to happen, is to interact with God's truth. And one of the ways to interact with God's truth is hide God's truth in your heart and your mind. And we're challenging you to memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2. But let me, let me just get us started. Uh, let's just take that first phrase. And let's say it together. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Let's say that together. Therefore, I urge you, brethren by the mercies of God. One more time. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And inherently in there, I think it, it, it talks about where we begin in terms of what God wants to do in terms of changing us. Now, just taking that phrase and dissecting it just a little bit. Whenever you read in God's word the word, therefore, and this is, this is, Familiar with some of you this morning, many of you this morning. Whenever you read the therefore, you ask yourself the question: What's the therefore? Therefore, well, this is the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, and before the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, how many chapters were there before? 11. You are such a sharp group, all right. There were 11 chapters, 11 sections in which Paul wrote truth that he now wanted to build upon and say, Okay, here's the application of it, and. Hopefully, all of you are in a life group. If for whatever reason you cannot be in a life group, talk to me and I'll make a way for you to be in a life group. But if let's say there's a reason you can't be in a life group. We have a Bible study right after this that talks about some of the things we're talking about this morning. And so I want you to do the questions after the message. And really, at the heart of the message this week or in the Bible study is looking at some of the things that are in chapters 1 through 11. If Paul is referring to things he's already written to establish the case for us to be transformed or changed, it presupposes that we know what he's already said. And so I just highlight, highlight, I think, maybe 15 things that he says about us that ought to cause us to be launched out to do what he's calling us to do. So therefore, based on what I've already written, what God has already done in your life, I urge you. Now, have you ever had a person in your life who tries to make you do things you don't want to do? kind of pushes you. Warren's raising his hand because I pushed him to go to the men's. You want me to tell your story right here? In the- okay, you know, so yeah, hopefully there are people in your life that, that say, hey, I want you to run faster and longer, okay? Anybody have anybody that tells you to run longer and faster? Raise your hands because I'm looking right at you. Okay, so yeah, there are people in your life who say, okay, I want you to study harder. I want you to eat better, I- whatever it might be, okay? There are all kinds of people in your life that hopefully kind of push you to do what you can do, maybe practice a little bit longer or work on a certain drill at the piano or the organ, and uh, musicians, you know, teachers, they, they have to do that sometimes because sometimes your, your students aren't right there, right? Right, Jim? Okay. So uh, Paul is right here, and he's saying, I'm urging you. I'm just urging you to do what I'm going to do what I'm gonna tell you to do. But it's interesting here, he could have been, because he was their spiritual father, said, okay, you have to do this because I'm telling you to do it. But this is not the word here. The word here is to say, I'm coming alongside you just to, just to appeal to your, your better sense that this is what's best for you. The word here is perikaleo. That's the verb form. It is this, in the noun form, it's the word used for the Holy Spirit. And this word is sometimes used or uh, translated this, the same word, to be a helper, to be a comforter, uh-uh, to be an encourager, to be a supporter to a person who saying, look, I'm going to be there with you when you go through this. He says, I'm urging you to do what, what's best for you. I'm appealing to what's on the inside based on all that God has done. And I, I'm, I'm speaking to you who've already tasted this. I urge you, therefore I urge you, brethren. He's not talking about people who have no clue out there about what and who Jesus is and what he's done. I'm urging you who've, who've tasted this. And then he said, and let me just again say, by the mercies of God, by all that, that God has done for you and has chosen not to do to you because of his great love for you. So this presupposes, and this is where we're going to be in this journey, talking about transformation with the very first step of the journey, is what do we need to do first to be transformed? So this is fundamental and for those of us already taking this step, it's, a, it's not only a good reminder, but it's, it's a good restatement of, okay, this, this has to be the condition of my life, not only at the beginning, but throughout my life with God. And you'll see this as we look at it. So where does must transformation start? Let's read Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. I have some simple truths to share with you this morning. For you do not delight, this is David speaking to God after he'd been involved in in sin with Bathsheba and he seemed to be so far from him and wanting to get back in his good gra- uh, grace. He said, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. Which, which is simply a statement that said, look it, you're not that impressed with religious activity. Have you, ever, have you ever met someone who's more religious than Jesus himself? I mean, it's like, really? I mean, they're, they're just, it's just like, it's just, everything just seems to be religious, kind of ritualistic. He said, I want you to be genuine. I want you to be real in, in your relationship with God. Now, the sacrifices and burnt offerings in the Old Testament were ordained by God. They were, they were established by God. But they were to be symbolic of what was on the inside. Because if you give sacrifices to God, but your heart's not in it, your, your, your real core of your being is not in it, it doesn't matter to God. So then he makes this very simple statement. Okay, you're not that impressed with sacrifices and burnt offerings, He says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I guess if you put it in the positive sense, you'd say, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will be pleased with. You can say in the negative or the positive, right? So, very simple. This is not an overly. Mysterious message. It's straightforward. Where does transformation begin? It begins in the heart. And and eventually, every teacher, every parent, every person who is trying to influence someone else, eventually, you want to get beyond the externals. You want to get into the heart. The the reason I'm wanting you to do when I'm encouraging you to do or pleading with you to do or coming alongside you to do is because i i i I want you to do it and that's because i'm telling you to do it i'm i want you to do because it's it's coming from the inside of who you are you know a a broken something broken we can all relate to i mean that's something that's been smashed or whatever like but you know contrite heart you know that's not that's not a phrase that we often use and ever you know in our normal language so i I did some reading about this contrite. Contrite is very much related to being broken because the word actually means to break or to bruise. So that's kind of an interesting analogy or statement. God wants you to come to him first with a bruised heart. In what way? A bruised heart to the point where your heart is broken or that which separates you from him. And it's pretty simple what separates us from him. It's our what? It's our sin. Now, again, obviously this is the issue before we come into relationship with God. Our sin has to be dealt with. We're guilty before a holy God, and only because of what Christ is done on the cross can our sins be forgiven, and our heart which is broken made new again. But that's the attitude God wants us to continually have about things that we do past becoming a Christian, and that He wants us, when we do things that displease Him, that our heart becomes broken and bruised, and we hurt on the inside. And when you come to a point in your life where you're not you're not hurting on the inside when you do things that are wrong before a holy God, then something is desperately what wrong. God wants us to have a broken and contrite heart as we come before Him. The act of contrition is defined this way: it's the act of grinding or rubbing something into powder. God delights and people come to Him with all humility, recognizing that, that we desperately need Him. So, I guess the question for us is very simple. Where's your heart this morning? Is your heart at that place where, where your heart breaks for the things that break God's hearts? Is. Is your heart of the place where you're more concerned about your own sin than somebody else's sin? Is your heart of the point where you say, God, I I want my heart to be clean before you? God, I'm that place where I want to come to you with all humility. Because you know that which God does not despise, he never despises a broken and contrite heart. He's looking for someone who desperately sees their need for him. And that begins at that first commitment to Christ and then it continues on from there where we come to Him in all humility and that which is on the inside I want to give to you. Dallas Willard in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, says the heart is the, is the core of the being of a person. Uh, Calvin Miller wrote this in a, in a poem he wrote in terms of that which is broken. The little broken fragments lay so useless on the floor. Lots of tiny fractured pieces and the vessel is no more. Silver slivers of ceramic and no one can comprehend any way to mold the pieces that the vessel serve again. Then comes the master craftsman hovering over the broken clay, for he will not see it useless and cast carelessly away. With skill, his able fingers reach to lift the pieces up, pick the fragments from the floor, pick them back into the cup. He will use the cup made whole again to make his heart to sing for he can restore to usefulness such shattered, broken things. Let let me say what a broken and contrite heart is not. It's not seeing yourself as a person that cannot be made whole again. We're not Humpty Dumpty, you know, sitting on a wall and, and when he fell, no one could put him back together again because there is someone who can put us back together again. And our sin is never so heinous in God's eyes that when we turn to Him humbly, He does not forgive us and heal us on the inside. So don't let the enemy cause you to see yourself as worthless because God delights in taking broken things like a cheap Jeep and restoring it to not only as new but better than new. But it begins there. All of us begin and continue to grow in him by coming to him saying, God, change me on the inside with my heart. Secondly, and a lot more quickly, what's really most important in life? And we won't turn to it, but I'll just quote it. In Matthew 16, 26, it says, What is a prophet of man? He gains the whole world and loses his, what? Soul. What's really most important to you? You know, you know, my heart, my mind—you know—goes all kinds. I like all kinds of things. I like to pursue all kinds of things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I always need to check it. What's really important? You could gain everything, but if you lost your soul, what have you? What do you have left? Bill Gates—the last thing I heard read was that his now net worth is 57 billion dollars, depending about what the stock does, you know, today or tomorrow. 57 billion. Would you give everything precious to you in God's sight for that? It's only going to last such a short period of time in terms of eternity. But see, that's where transformation begins, realizing, okay, what what do you really value? And God says, value that which is on the inside, the real you. It begins as we give God our heart. It, It works out as we understand that's what's most important. And then thirdly, what are we left with if we, if we don't go down this path? Or, as I put in your outline, what is it that a natural man cannot understand? In 1 Corinthians 2.14 it says this, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Yeah, well, We need to realize if we're not being transformed by Christ, and we haven't been transformed by Christ, we will not understand the things of the Spirit. And it doesn't doesn't mean a person doesn't have a high IQ, but he doesn't have any SQ. You can have a high intelligent quotient, but do you have a spiritual quotient somehow in terms of who you are? And you can only understand spiritual things if you have the Spirit of God living within you. That doesn't mean we instantly understand everything in the Bible. It doesn't mean there aren't tough things in the Bible that, that people will wrestle with and, and even debate over, but you will miss the major points in here. That the Spirit is not living within you. So where does transformation begin? It begins in the heart, with an understanding that it's all about that the soul is more important, the inside, than anything else in this world. It's understanding that, hey, there is a loss. You cannot understand spiritual things apart from the transformation of Christ. And then, fourthly, I put this morning just before you do anything else, what must you do? And these are all related. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 3 through 5, we have Paul just making an analogy about people he was kind of amazed at. But then, when he, I guess, thought a little bit long, longer, he could understand how God was transforming them, and it had transformed them. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 and 5, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And again, that's where God wants us to do everything from the heart, from the inside. When we serve Him, it should be from the heart. When we obey Him, it should be from the heart. It doesn't mean we always feel great when we're doing it because we're emotional beings, but eventually He wants us to be excited about what we're doing. It's from the heart. And so giving was not only what they were expected to give, but even beyond that. Verse 4, Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So they, so they, they, they wanted to, to give and they begged for the opportunity to give. But then verse 5. And this, not as we expected, which to me is interesting. Paul, who had worked with these believers, was surprised how much they had grown in being transformed by Christ. He said this. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God and I just put this passage just to make this very simple point, is that before you do anything else, what must you do? You have to give yourself to God. And and, and see, it it said you must, they first gave themselves to God. Now, the first there can be used in one of two ways, and probably it's used in both ways. One in terms of first, in terms of time. Okay, before number, before you do, after you do something first comes something Second, right? And so, okay, the first thing they did uh, in terms of time was the first thing, which is give themselves to God. And I think that is a, a fundamental understanding of the text in terms of their relationship with God. They they had to realize, hey, I got to put God first. You know, I, I, I got to give myself. But the other aspect is, is the idea of priority. Okay, he is first. And really, doesn't it get down as simple as that when we when we want God to do something in our lives? Well, Where is he? Well, you could say, well, he's in my life, but yeah, but where is he in your life? Is he second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth? Or is he what? First. And before we do anything else, we we just have to ask ourselves that question Is he first? Again, we're we're not talking about other activities beyond that, what you might want to do, how you're gifted, what, what things you want you to be involved in. We're just saying, well, have you settled that? He's first. Before they gave, well, God's first in my life. Before they serve, God's first in my life. Before I make decisions, God's first in my life. And then everything else flows from that. And, that and, and that's a matter of trust, not burden. Well, if he's first, are you afraid of that if he's first? well, if, if God is a good God, he's a great father, well, we don't have to be afraid of that because he's good. He's good all the time. But as you look at transformation, that's a fundamental thing that has to start the process. begins with the heart. We understand our soul is more important than anything else. If we don't do that, we're not going to understand spiritual things. But then it just gets down to this. Have you given yourself first to God? First in terms of that's the beginning, but first in terms of priority. Therefore, Based on all that's happened in the past, I urge, I plead with you. I don't just command you. I just tell you, I want you to, to understand this is, this is what's good for you. I'm, a, I'm right there with you. And I'm talking to brothers in the faith, that you, you who understand that. And those of you who don't, now I'm trying to get it to you right now. And then I want you to understand it's all by the mercies of God. I'm not going to read these passages, but I'll refer to them. What motivates us to want to put God first and give ourselves to Him and give our heart to Him. It's all that He has already done. The psalmist in Psalm 116 said this, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name and forget none of His, what? Benefits. Paul put it this way, I urge you by the mercies of God. If God has not done enough already to deserve our complete commitment to Him, then then go someplace else. But if you look at what He's given us that we don't deserve and you look at the things that we do deserve that He doesn't give us, that that is overly convincing and motivating to say, okay, God, you have me completely. So what is transformation all about? It's about getting transformed and then wanting other people to get on the boat with you, being transformed as well. And getting transformed begins with giving your heart and life wholeheartedly to him. And if you've already done that in a fresh way, say, God, I'm still there. I still give you everything that I am. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we, we want to begin where it all begins, and then we want to, in a fresh way, say, God, I'm, I'm still committed to that which I've already done. And if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, we, we want to put it as simply and as clearly as possible. As possible. W- what does it mean to give ourselves to you? It's as easy as the ABCs, but it's, it, it's as simple as the ABCs, but it's, it's not necessarily easy because it demands our all. A, it comes to the point of admitting our need and turning from that which dishonors you, our sin. And then B, it's all about believing, believing that Jesus is who we claim to be. And he died on the cross and he rose again. He, he paid completely the penalty for our sins. And then C, it's committing in our heart of hearts to follow and trust in Jesus as our Lord, our leader, our God, and our Savior. And when we simply tell that to you and mean it from our heart, then you'll make us a new person on the inside. And when we live in light of that commitment, then you empower us to progressively become more like your son. Help us to be a transformed church, helping others to be transformed as well. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand this morning to sing.